Look how much discussions on masculinity and femininity there are. Look on how many discussions there are on pronouns. I mean, you have to be careful that you don't jump into these kind of conversations without knowing the background of why this conversation was being started and who benefited from it. And that happens with a lot of topics online. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to another episode of Social Convos. I'm your host, Diego, together with my co-host, Sean Luke. Okay, what's the energy going to be focused on today? Okay, so we're recording this on a Tuesday, the Tuesday before Social Media Day. So Social Media Day is an event that is was originally coined by Mashable. And I don't think a lot of young social media marketers even remember or know what Mashable is. I, I was about to ask, does yeah. Mashable still even exist? Because I, yeah. I haven't seen any, you know, a few years back, Mashable was one of the things that show up in your feed about you, you news, can, about you can, media. You can, say, about... you can definitely say like 10, 15 years ago, not 10 years ago. A lot of these sites that kind of shifted. I know Life well, Hacker was still one, one there. of the sites. Uh, I, I visited a lot, but as the, the spaces evolve, like, and I think also, you know, interest of people align. Maybe, maybe the algorithms of the different platforms feed us something different, but I have a it different has definitely theory. shifted. I have a different theory on this. My theory is that in the beginning of the social media age, it was corporate brands that were central. You know, it was like a brand that is, 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 has recognition, international or even worldwide recognition. And there they have a quality reputation of being the proper source for something, whatever it is, in whatever field. And I think to a certain degree, that's still the case. But then the rise came of personal brands. So like a lot of information that I used to get or a lot of news that I used to get from Mashable is now being provided by people in the space. And it's not there yet fully, especially in, in certain fields that require a little bit more knowledge or general expertise or a lot of insights, like really good insights, but on a broader spectrum. So you have like specialists on specific topics, but they all bundle together on, on one at, at, at one source, making that source more reliable as a brand. So I think that's still there, but I think a lot of content that I used to get specifically from the site. It's like, if there were like 20 articles, there were like three that I found interesting. Now those three, I can get from one specific source now, which means that I no longer go to the general website to find that information. So I think that's one of the reasons, but to, to, to get back on topic, Mashable, I think it's already 14 years ago or 15 years ago, they coined Social Media Day on June 30th. So on June 30th, worldwide, we kind of celebrate Social Media Day. And basically, we celebrate social media in a positive light. And even with this year's theme, because there was a theme announced, uniting the digital world. And that, I found it very interesting because when we speak of uniting the digital world and we look at the digital world and we look like the digital media I'm starting to wonder if we understand media because we all have opinions. We all have opinions what the role of media should be, of the role of media was and what it should be in the future. But do we fully comprehend what's going on? Are we fully aware of, of where this media field is taking us and what the driving forces are behind it? So today we're going to unpack, unpack a little bit on the history of, of, of media, I feel, and get so, our objective data as possible and kind of have a discussion uh, uh, surrounding that. But go ahead. Yeah, so now I was just going to say, because we're, we're nearing social media day, June 30th, so that's in three days. You guys have a few events planned for that as well. But 
when we talk about media, it's broader, right? So as we look at this history, I think it's important first to, you know, define media. Nowadays, when we talk about media, social media is this something that comes to the forefront, but media is a very broad umbrella term. So media is basically a newspaper. It is basically television. It is basically magazines like paper magazines. It's radio and any form of basically getting information across through a channel that reaches multiple people is a form of media. So am I, is it fair to say that that's a, you know, which define ragtag oh, definition of, social, of, of media? Social media is part of digital media. Digital media is part of media. So what you describe is your kind of definition of, of media. Yeah, so as an umbrella term, I, I, I yeah. view media as basically a channel as to which you, we as humans, you know, transmit information to a larger audience. Yeah, so, so that, that's, that's how I perceive, perceive so media. I, it's, it's, it's media is considered mass communication. Yeah. So broadcasting, publishing, really, and, and whether that's to print or to, to text, to voice, to, to, visuals to visuals through the internet it's it's mass communication that's being published or broadcasted it's also the plural of medium <laughs> could could lead us in an old other direction yeah but but it, it, it is important yeah. to understand you know the where, where the word comes from like and the medium is a medium of communication yeah. media being anything that we use as a, a method of communication so looking at the history the trajectory when was the, as you can remember, coming to this core question, do we understand media? Like, when were we really fully, I guess, it's, impacted it by the, the, the mass media in, okay. in the tra transition to the digital age? So cause that, that's what we got to do a lot now. So let's look at it, pre-digital and post-digital. So before there was a printed Bible, in the, in the time of the Greeks and the Romans, there was already Aristotle and he already spoke to a large audience or not. That's, that's the question here. So when we talk about publishing, and this is really a double-edged sword, because when we talk about publishing, did Greek philosophers at the time when they were alive publish their thoughts? And were they mass communicated? Because if you if you look from a broader perspective, like forms of mass communications in the ancient times were all could also be considered as media, right? Yeah. Certain so basically, if, they had if a, the king or the emperor, form. yeah, or the queen wanted to send out information to like all society. Basically, the method that they used kind of already could be seen as media. I think most of us consider the current type of media as the printed media, which started like in the 16th century. But then the question comes about how old are alphabets? I'm not so versed in that so, history, but it's but, basically... No, but consider this. I, I'm going to give you an As soon as you have a history yeah. of, of written languages... So do, do we consider the, the Egyptian hieroglyphs as an alphabet? So that, that is a form of media because it is communicating a message through your know, murals, like glyphs on a mural, communicating or preserving that knowledge, preserving that message. Although it is not broadcasted per se, it is still a form of media. That as people okay. go to it in a mass, they, they can still understand. So consider this. You're living in the 11th century and you scribbled down something on a paper, which was meant specifically for a beautiful person that you've met, who you wanted to court or make your partner. And one of your best friends takes a piece of paper, runs with it and blasts over the, the complete city. How is that different from screenshotting a WhatsApp message and posting that on social media. It's not in, in the core principle. It's not that much different. It's just the, the method of doing it. 
And maybe in a digital age, you're more removed from it because, you know, you're behind a digital screen, whereas (laughs) in the 11th century, you It was harder. People would easily, it would be more... You'd have to have more balls to do that. (laughs) In person, you would would have to have, definitely have to have more courage to do it. So that's maybe the difference. But that's always why I say, like, the media is just a tool. Like, it's just a, a means to... It's a tool that you can use, but the intent itself is human-driven. So we can go through the history. We can talk about the printed press, which is 16th century. Then the radio came about like late 19th 19th century, and it became, after the First World War, it became means of mass communication. Because I guess, and with this with a lot of things, right, it was kind of, I'm not sure a radio was military enforced that they during the first world war used me we use radio signals to everyone. And after that they were like, Oh, we need a use for it, so let's 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 bring it to the masses. I have no idea. Yeah. So basically as telecommunications develop, radio being one of the more primitive forms of telecommunication, it kind of changes changed the game because the speed at which information reached the other party started to play, play a role. So in within war, information is key. Basically, if you have the advantage of information, you basically can make the play. And with radio, with the other forms of media, you're constrained to a geographic location, right? Or you're constrained to time. You need to distribute yeah. the, the printed, the books to some part of Europe and you need to go through it for a few weeks before that announcement reaches that part. And what radio solved is that this, the, the geographic issue and the time issue, whereas you could receive that information immediately. So that, but that geographically, there was pre- also a limit, right? Yeah, but as, the, as telecommunications developed over time, the speed and the geographic lim- geographical limits kind of started to fade, fade more in the background as it not being a limit anymore and you could day, instantly transmit it. I can listen to a radio station based in Florida or a radio station based in Europe through radio waves, like yeah, local. Yeah, but that radio, goes right? through the the internet network. It's not yeah, but, actual but wave yeah, waves anymore. Ex- but exactly, the, the, the label exactly. as radio station has stayed, but the me- actual media changed. They still have the local radio yeah, waves within the Florida. Actual, yeah, but that gives kind of geographical limitations as well. Because before the 1990s, I wasn't able to listen to the radio from another continent. Yes. Right? So I think that's also, it still had its limitations for the first 80 years or 70 years that it was available, publicly available. So that gives us kind of a... An idea, and then the second thing that I find really interesting is that during the war, I'm guessing radio was able to transmit both ways. Yeah, but when it was put out as media, it was put out as one-way traffic. So it's it's basically the the tools that you had, yeah. right? You know, radio communication between a general and a lieutenant or a battalion yeah. within mm-hmm. another segment of the, the war, you, you need two-way communication because that information is important. Whereas if you look at it, how it's implemented in the mass population, it's a one, one-to-many relationship. It's basically you have one source, which basically broadcasts arounding, usually through an antenna, it broadcasts the radio waves and then you have the other devices that are receivers and those devices are the actual radios. They only have the reception module. So in that sense, you, you can't communicate back to the central tower. Okay. To a certain degree, you'd have be able to do that, but then the receivers would also need the, the module to send broadcast messages. So they would need a big antenna to do that. So okay. you had communication between the radio towers, but to get smaller messages to okay. where you only need one-way communication, the, the one-to-many relationship was sufficient. Okay. 
So radio, like mainstream radio, has been around for about 100 years. And then 20, minutes, 20 years later, we get to television, right? So that yeah. was kind of because visual kind of, in a sense, it works better than audio. It's more captivating, I guess, in some sense. And and the, the principle is basically the same. It's, it's, it's still transmitting through, through radio waves. It's just yeah. a tool or the box that receives those waves now has some more equipment in it and is able to translate those waves into a visual signal. Would you say that television is more addictive than radio or more, you lose focus more watching television or listening to the radio? So I, I think that's a bit subjective where what you, what you have with television is, well, depending on which stage of television, right? It, it, it was either only sound only or visual only. And then the, the two combined and you had visual and sound. So it's really depending on how you want to interpret that information. Like Morse code is, is, is just some tones and it it's go, goes through a radio signal. So what's more distracting? You, you need more knowledge of Morse code if you want to understand it. So you yeah, but it can focus. completely go over your head if you don't understand as well. Yeah. So radio and where, whereas visual, if, yeah. if you see something, you can basically that's the saying: a picture paints a thousand words. You can interpret that much faster. So if you get bombarded with a lot of visuals, your kind of brain doesn't has too much to process. So. I would say yes, with visuals, television would be prone to more distractions. Whereas radio, you only use the, the, the listening where, and you, you really need, need to take in the words yeah. to understand it. Well, do you? Because I feel like I'm able to listen to the radio or multitask. Well, that I'm not practically as I'm a man. <laughs> I can't multitask very well when it comes to doing two things at the same time or multiple things aside from reading. Uh, but that's a, another myth yeah. that you could debunk, but we're yeah. not going that direction. No, but, but yeah, co yeah, coming back to radio and visuals yeah. with, with radio, yeah, your eyes, because if you multitask or do other stuff, you, most of the time you require the use of your eyes, you know, yes. and, and with, with radio, you're not, right? you, you're not taxing that as a resource, yeah. whereas television, you need to be locked in to the screen to receive that information. Also, yeah. if, the, if the imagery is captivating, you will look at it because you don't want to miss it. Yeah. Right? So uh, there's a reason I'm bringing this up, of course. Then we get to the ARPANET, right? Then we get really to the first stages of the internet. Then we get to the 70s where the personal computer rises, 80s where everything goes automated, but also 80s is when kind of the compact disc, so the music revolution really starts with the cassettes, the compact disc and everything. So there's some, another element to it as well. And it's interesting that- Mobility, yeah, right. Video is, is more mobile. You, you, more you mobile. can move with radio, whereas yeah. television, okay, now you can, you can you have the screen in your pocket, but being the big devices that they were with the, the size of the weight, it wasn't really practical to be mobile yeah. and not very safe. But yeah, that's also with the phone, like the mobile phone in the 80s, it was also the first like real mobile phones came about. Then we get to the 90s when we get access to the World Wide Web. So basically that we're all connected. And then the interesting thing about the 90s is that there were very few people. It's, I, I kind of want to make a weird comparison between blogging in the 90s and owning a YouTube channel from a media perspective. And when we're talking this, this is post-internet, right? Like 90s. Yeah, so in the right. 90s, all of a sudden, there was a, big, there was a big problem with bloggers in the 90s because in the beginning, your news source, everybody knew, knew the news source. Because and were, so ju just before you started, yeah. is blogging, from my understanding, blogging is something post-internet. Do, do I understand blogging that correct? Blogging is from the 90s. Yeah, blogging it, is something it, that it, started. It exists the within the confines yeah. of the internet, right? Yes. Yeah. So yes. publishing a, a start article on a newspaper, well, that's, that's not just blogging. Weird. Before the internet, you would just weird, right? You would, I mean, there were people already blogging before the internet was there, but you were weird because you were publishing from an unknown source. 
Yeah. Right? Whereas and you put the, it the in a newspaper. Media, or... No, it was just like people with pamphlets on the side of the road in the 80s. Ah. Giving out information. <laughs> Technically, they yeah. were already blogging. They were already sharing this information. They were already kind of part of, me- of media, some kinds of mass media, because they were more influential than the traditional media already. But it wasn't, it wasn't like it is now. It wasn't like as normal as it is now. It was considered weird. Like if you would have a newspaper, your own newspaper, and, and now we do it for, even do it for trolls. There are people who have like a troll newspaper just to make fun of others. Whereas in the 80s, I mean, you would have fast resources available to create a, a blog or a news outlet that wasn't through the traditional system. So there was a traditional system. You had your local radio station, your local television station. There were these broadcasting networks, big conglomerates. So until the internet, that was kind of the case. The news source was... If you would speak to people, people would acknowledge that it was a legit news source. There wouldn't be a discussion about it. Yeah, yeah the building is over there. That's where they print their newspapers. That's where they take their, their evening news. It was a fixed location where everybody could see and validate that this was actually an existing company. With the blogging atmosphere, basically in the 90s, all of a sudden, there were these new sources of information. And it was hard to validate whether or not this was a corporation that was actually a company that had multiple people on the pay, payroll and what the texts were being screened, or it was just somebody sitting on a couch or a, well, at that time still on a, a normal setup behind a computer and, and typing in the news. So that's where the first kind of wave came from, like, hey, this is new information. That's the first time that like, oh, this is all new information. This is a new source. So that was the first time we had to deal with, hey, maybe the news that's being shared at your local broadcasting station is incomplete or even fictional or even not for completely the truth. That was the first yeah, time. But that also we got- blogging was very opinion-based, right? It, it was very oh, yes. personal. It was very driven by personal interests, whereas the established newspapers, the, the journalists, they, they were trained academically to go into the trenches exactly. and kind of really research and find evidence before they actually go through the process of, you know, editing and publishing something to the masses, because that also took, you know, considerable resources to put it through the printing press. You really had to get through that clearance before. There was, there was also an agreement on the skill set. There was also agreement on the skill set. Yeah. Right? There was an agreement that as a journalist, you had to have a specific skill set. You have to comply to certain rules. That's why till this day, there are people on the internet who are very well known that traditional journalists don't view as journalists because they don't go through the traditional route of journalism. That being said, they are actually have more online authority than the traditional journalists a lot of the times, which makes it difficult in every sense. But then we got to a stage of the internet, which of course now we're talking about the, the early days of social media, where all of a sudden the balance shifted. So we already had to deal with new sources of information that we couldn't always verify. But then... All of a sudden, the people who used to be like consuming the information now had the opportunity to respond and provide their own input. And that's where really another wave came as in, okay, now it's easier for other people also to share their opinion. You get multiple opinions, multiple fields which is good from one perspective because you get a better understanding of the topic, but you can also get twice as lost. Yeah, and the social media has also made it more accessible. We we talked about the one-way communication, right? It has made it more accessible for two-way communication, whereas an item is published, you can immediately get feedback and responses and comments and opinions on that piece. Whereas... Before, it, it was still a barrier to really, you know, kind of 
hear your thoughts on that piece of information. I, I love this comment by Gregory. And he says, Journalists are factual, fact. not truthful. Yeah, that's, that's a yeah. very fair way of putting it. Yeah. Because there is a difference between facts and truth, right? Truthful. Yeah. So, but this is, is a very fair assessment. And I, I feel that there, that's where it gets difficult because it becomes harder and harder to understand what the true facts are. Because sometimes journalists aren't factual. And sometimes social media outlets are truthful. So it's not like it's in stone as one way or another, but we get a, a, a serious amount of information every day upon us. And we have to filter through it ourselves. And you basically decide which filter you want to use and how you go about it. And it's something that's completely new for us because 20 years ago, this barely existed, not even existed. And then there's another two developments I think are relevant. What is the development of, of, of portable devices, of mobile devices, which makes it even easier because like 20 years ago, you'd still have to go, for example, in Suriname, you had to go to an, an internet cafe to log into the internet and go on a, on a desktop computer. Not everybody, but, but most, most people. And now it's just like you're angry, you're emotional, and you have your phone with you and you just blurred out your opinion. Not even concerning the topic, but just because you're in an emotional state and want to react. Yeah, you need so to that's pay. how easy information gets out there. So I think that's, that's very important to know. And then we're getting now to a difficult situation because we have finally reached globalization and the globalization of tech is much further ahead than legislation is and the whole geographical, especially political geographical system, it completely smashes it because all these country laws that are there, yeah, these media, they go across all the other spectrums. So for instance, something that could be the law in one country is it in the other country. And if you get an information and say like, okay, this is legal and this is illegal, but it's legal and illegal in a different state or even different country, you get lost completely. Before we dive deep into that, I, I want to hold on to the, the historical and the tradition as we understood media. And there was a certain degree of media literacy that you needed to have one from creating the media. And over time, the importance of media lit literacy for consumers has become more prevalent. So what skills do we need to effectively navigate and understand media. If we, you know, if we just go follow if the, you're the, the road you of evolution. Are talking like society in general? Yeah, just, just as, we, as we look at the evolution from the printing press to radio to television to the internet to social media, if, if, we, if we had to break it down to the core principles and then add it layer to that with the complexities, as you mentioned, with globalization now coming in. So let's start with the, the basics, the, the, the core basics. What, 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 what would people need? I really <laughs> think the first thing is empathy. I really think it starts there. It, this, it makes me think of like, there is a Jubilee video of people that should be ranked based on, on their intelligence, right? So yeah. they start like moving people around and like, it's even racially biased to a certain degree, like an immigrant, but, you know, that has to work harder. So they're like, okay, more. So they have to be intelligent to get there. It's, it's like, there's already some, some bias there. Not intentionally. Don't get me wrong. It's not intentionally. It, it was But bias negative. is another thing, yeah? You, but it you was can't bias. really get around it. No, it's, it was definitely bias. And there was also bias with a girl who was doing a PhD or was a PhD student or even already had her PhD. I, forget me if I don't remember that correctly. And they did an IQ test. And actually, she scored lowest on the IQ test, which was 113. And 113 is not a bad score in general, but scoring 113 is weird for a PhD student or even a PhD, somebody who has a PhD, because usually speaking, IQ of 120 means, means that you're capable of going to university. But of course the system feels outdated. 
right? That's the, that's the first thing that combined. It was a short IQ test, so it might not require all of the facets of the IQ test that you would normally take in a traditional IQ test. Or they sped it up and didn't show, but it was really a, a full-on IQ test. But still, five of the people that were there <clears throat> scored over 120, which means that people that were going to be in that video kind of were already confident that they were intelligent. You could even argue that like a PhD person that knows their IQ would never make, they would make sure that they wouldn't be part of the program because of like saying like, hey, I fail you. And it's not important for people to know how intelligent I am. But that was interesting. And then after the IQ test, they moved towards people saying like, hey, there's more to intelligence than your IQ, which I agree with. But the interesting part is it was a lot of judging in the sense like, okay, so based on this, I think that that person is this. Or based on this, it's... and. It's like very opinionated. And the interesting thing is that once you have an opinion about somebody else or something else, especially if you have the opinion that the under person is not empathic or doesn't have an emotional IQ or an EQ for, for that matter, that might say something more about your EQ as well. So it's kind of this feel that we've kind of lost sight like we want to measure so badly we want to have statistics so badly but it doesn't tell us the full, full scope of what's going on like i can give you the statistics of different social media platforms but it doesn't tell you how people use those platforms i can give you statistics of how much read certain media has but there are a lot of social media professionals who are like, quality matters more than the quantity. Quality matters more than the qu quality. And it's, it kind of brings a whole other situation. We're like, okay, wait, is it actually better to have 100 people that actually really take in the news and provide feedback than 10,000 people who kind of only like your content because you're famous and they want to be part of that fame? And that also brings to the quality of news provided by the media. It also depends on, you know, what type of content is it? Is it entertainment? And is it just news? You have to get updated. Is it research? Sexual content? Bringing, yeah, let's, let's bring up Greg's yeah. question. The, the reason yeah. I'm mentioning that for people who are actually only listening to this podcast is Gregory put out a, a comment saying like, what do you think of the idea that media evolution is probably driven by the porn industry? I once heard that and I can't get it out of my head. Well, Gregory, we can debunk that. It's not like there is no, there is no innovation that started from that industry. It's not like they don't have a heavy involvement but that they depict on how the internet develops. Sorry, that's not fully the case. Yeah, because it, you know, primary, primarily driven is, is, is a strong beast. I don't think there's one core driving factor in innovation and technology. If, if you look at the developments in technology and communications, for example, a lot of it has been developed by the military. The world wars, basically, the military developed the internet as we know it today as a means of efficient communication. And I'd say, yes, the, the, the porn industry has pushed some boundaries in streaming technology because people want entertainment. If we look at it from the context of, of getting better visuals, faster streaming, of course, they're going to look into algorithms, into protocols that are more efficient in processing data because that's, that's a market for them and there's a huge market for that. So where, where, wherever there's a huge market, there's going to be push for development. If you look at the gaming industry, for example, graphics cards, there's a rapid development in that 
space and that's pushing the 4K televisions that we have now, the 8K televisions that are coming, the, the cameras, because people want more fidelity, more data, faster processing. So that goes to show like this niche industry is kind of developed for the mass consumer market. And what we get as a mass consumer market that's more affordable is thanks to these niche industries. And it's not necessarily bad or good, but because there's a demand for it, that's how you get these innovations as well. I think that's a fair take, at least from my end. Uh, yeah, it's interesting how like 15 years after graduating, <laughs> things that I, I've learned at different universities actually come in handy to under, better understand. So there are two things I want to separate. The first thing is that we have to, like you already mentioned, there's also an entertainment part. Like that's also why I mentioned the portable discs in the 80s and music being more accessible. It's what we kind of forget is that media kind of often is, it's an outlet to do things for that news. we, for, no, but it's also, how do I say? It's also trying to escape. Like you try to escape, it's in your leisure time, right? It's, it's in the time that your, your spare time, yeah. your leisure time that you have available. That's basically, of course, there's an overlap now and people go through media at work because it's also part of their work. But in, in essence, people go, especially on social media, to unwind, to escape from daily life. That's, that's one of the reasons why they use social media. So it's a different kind of outlet. And that's why when it comes to media, when it comes to news, it's a news source, but entertainment, especially sports, that's why social media is so popular with those topics because people kind of come to unwind. So that's the first thing. And the second thing to dive into the porn industry, it all comes down to capitalism. So basically capitalism is a driving force for mass media and mass media is a driving force for capitalism. It works kind of both ways. I think the interesting thing is that it also has to do a lot with mobility. My favorite, like one of my favorite philosophers, Guy Debord, kind of called it the society of, of the spectacle. And the society of the spectacle was more related to the influx of mass transportation than it was to mass communication. But it, it treads along the same, has the same red thread all over and basically, if, if people are willing to pay for it, it's going to boom. It's going to, it's going to be a hype. People are going to jump into it. If, if people are interested in it, if people are willing to pay a thousand dollars for a t-shirt, there's a market there. And that what a lot of people don't understand is how that opportunity came about. So I'm very careful with the topic of porn, especially in a relationship to the military because there probably is a connection there, but I don't want to find out what that connection is. But I can say that it was really surprising that if you would, Alexa used to give all these country statistics away, and I wouldn't say they're completely accurate, but they gave away that if you have a top 100 websites being visited in a country, most likely there are a couple of porn sites there, yeah. probably even in the top 20 like probably two or three in the top 50, even more in the top 100. So they will be there. You have to be honest. And like, unless your country bans it completely, it will be there. But what's interesting is that capitalization of sexuality in general, because it's not just porn that's kind of, that's police central, but even more the sexuality. Look how much discussions on masculinity and femininity there are. Look on how many discussions there are on pronouns. I mean, you have to be careful that you don't jump into these kind of conversations without knowing the background of why this conversation was being started and who benefited from it. And that happens with a lot of topics online. A lot of topics are being instigated from somewhere with a certain purpose. And it's just people who are in a current state of mind that they're easily get entrapped into those conversations. And the benefits for the instigator are finding people who disagree. Because if everybody agrees, the conversation is very short and swift and it's over. 
But the more people disagree, the more value it gets. So and I think a lot of people don't fully understand that part yet. So that's and why I see the that. more, you know, yeah. capital value in yeah. most cases it gets. Yeah. So when you have certain topics and we discuss them and we realize there's like a big debate or a big gap between two schools of thought, you can either decide to say like, hey, let's agree to disagree. We come from different backgrounds. We have different belief systems, but they're pretty, pretty sure there are other things that we agree on. Let's focus on those. Or you can say like, hey, there is an opportunity here, whether it's an opportunity to convince somebody, to churn somebody, to create profits from actually going up against each other. It doesn't matter what's the, what, what the reason is, but there, if there's a reason for it, people will kind of abuse it, if I can say that word. On that note, I think it's also important to look at with the accessibility that people have to either vent and the bombardment of information that people get, the odds or probability that misinformation and disinformation get spread out more easily as well. And there's an important distinction here because as you know, information propagates to the internet, there's a lot of false information that kind of you know, gets shared a lot because people can't really fact check and it's something, oh, it's sensational or, oh, it's is, shocking. Is it, does it, it get shared out. a lot because people can't fact check or because it's sensational and it, it derives interest? It, it, it's, I think that the latter, for sure, it's, it has more weight to it. But some people just don't know, don't know any better and they don't have the, you know, the intent to share that bad information, but they, they, they think they're just helping. But the information has value, you, right? Yeah. It, it, it sparks conversation. It drives traffic. It, you know, so it's, I'm going to give, I'm give a funny example. There's a YouTube channel. I don't remember his name, but he popped up on my YouTube shorts recently. And he's kind of, he sets up Facebook troll pages, basically trolling people that, you know, like, that are too aggravated or he kind of trolls them. And he set up for the cities that they live. He set up face, fake Facebook accounts for the cities that he lives in. Mm -hmm. And those face, fake Facebook accounts tend to become more popular than the actual Facebook account of the municipality or the local authority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and one of those viral moments Somebody actually commented something which was real, actual, even though that everybody knows it was a troll page, actually commented something that was of value for people actually living in the city. And other people were like, hey, you know, this is a troll page, right? Please post it on the actual page of the municipality. And a person was like, no, that page doesn't have any traction. So I'm posting it here. Yeah, because it, it, it has a better reach, right? And that the the fact being is it you know can you trust the source because the 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 false pages are more parody meme like depending on the intent and there's a there's a distinction between misinformation and disinformation right misinformation is just people sharing yeah unintentionally that there's no ours just ours just, ours just having fun ours oh, just oh, being yeah. ours just having fun but yeah. there there is no malice behind it or you know bad There's intent, no whereas, intent there is no whereas this infor information is created with a purpose to you know to share this bad information or to you know have a happy yeah have an impact or drive the narrative into a certain direction but here's the interesting thing and this is where the point that i'm going at like there could be an authority that says like, hey, listen, this is not a law. This is not how you're supposed to use it. Where other people, and sometimes even the majority is saying like, hey, we're here for entertainment. I know you want to take this seriously, but this media channel is for entertainment purposes only. And we just get entertained. We know it's fake. It, 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 it's a fake account. We don't care about the fake account. For us, this fake account has more value than the actual real account. And then you get to why have talk shows like The Daily Show have, why have they become so 
popular is because they actually say beforehand, like, hey, this is a joke. And hey, this is a joke while providing actual valuable information just comes across better as we're serious. Yeah. And providing. And we read out this yeah, announcement and, about. And providing unentertaining information that might be true. We don't even know if it's true, but it's not entertaining in any sense. So at a certain point, to what extent is, does media come down to value? There's just value in anything, right? When we discussed, you know, at the origins of media in being able to broadcast, if you're talking about radio, broadcast news, broadcast updates, and we categorize the different types of media, news, factual media, entertainment media, sports media, as in escape to your daily life. So the value is in having a relief or a expression or just, you know, removing the stress of it that your daily life brings you. So it comes down to value, yes, but then it also comes down what does the viewer value, right? So if it's just entertainment, if it's porn, if it's gaming, if it's sports, they, they value different things and they go through those specific media outlets to to get entertained. If, if you're following a meme page, it's because of entertainment. Nine gag was one of them. Memes are very popular now. It's, it's kind of become a, a culture on, uh, on social media. So yes, it, it comes down to value, but there's also a a danger or caution there when you start to mix entertainment and with disinformation and specific intent without people realizing it. So coming back to the core of the question, do we understand media? It comes down to value, but I think it's very important that people are media literate to a certain degree as with, you know, financial literacy thing, media literacy is a thing too, if you ask me, because you need to understand, you know, how information starts playing a, a role. And one, one trap that people can fall into on social media, especially with all that information coming in, is falling into echo chambers where you start to go a certain group within a certain conversation or topic and you start receiving enhancing information that kind of enhances your view gets it becomes stronger and then you then you create these these tensions do and you feel, that, do you feel that that's a large percentage of the population or just a group that would normally already fall into that but just through different media yeah they did they, they would also already fall into it but if you get more people falling into it and, and an echo chamber gets louder and louder and louder yeah, as but more here's people the thing. enter it. I'm but, not sure if your media literacy has anything to do with being able to avoid an echo chamber. I, I won't say you'd be able to avoid it outright, but media literacy is... If your understanding of how that can influence you, it can make you aware and you know, it can make you aware, but you will not be aware if it aligns more with your values. That 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 that's fair, and you you shouldn't have to be able to disagree with it. But understanding on how you use that information, we we talked with several guests on the podcast on how they consume media, especially now. Yeah. A lot of them have created filtering methods, scanning methods to go to go through information, and. That that's already a form of media literacy on how to start consuming information. So I think that's one step that, you know, people growing up should should learn on how to engage with this platform, engage with this. Do you feel these. that the current generation growing up is not already better at that than, for instance, boomers or millennials? Yeah. Because they grow up with it. So I feel sometimes that, I don't disagree necessarily, but I do feel sometimes that, we don't give humans enough credit on their intelligence. No, that's a, like, that's a fair there's a certain there. There's a certain amount of intelligence. It's just like, what do you value? Let's take, for instance, the, Joe Rogan. 
or more locally for us, the Dave podcast. Like, you could argue what the intent is, but they're just the host. They ask questions and they get host in for a particular reason. For instance, a big difference is like if you look at Tapabang style, which is also very, that's kind of the OG kind of talk show that also was already big on YouTube way before people even understood that how big YouTube was. And his method is more like his guest has to be in the hype. People at that point in time, mm. when that person goes on to the, have the certain college, requirements before there are certain you, you requirements, of course, for the reach as well, because if somebody was trending six months ago and you get a one at the guest, yeah, they, they have a certain have formula. They, they yeah. have a certain programming formula. So that's, that that's pure entertainment purposes. Whereas the Dave podcast goes more kind of the Joe Rogan style. where Yeah, very controversial. It doesn't have to be controversial. It's just that they take topic that people are afraid to talk about. Yeah, but that's, that's usually con- con- controversial, right? People are af- af- afraid to and at yeah, least that's how most, I interpret in it. In most cases. In most cases. But then you get to the point that you just mentioned the intent. As long as there's no, there's no L intent. Yeah. I mean, who decides that? Who decides what the intent was? Basically, only the, the, the host. Only the, 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 decide, the great. Right? No, no. Not only the host. The, the, the people participating in it. The, the person who propagates the message. The, the host can have good intent. But if they invite someone in and that person has malintent and using that platform, then, then you have, you know, the, the show is maybe spreading misinformation, but the, the person sharing that information is coming with disinformation. And then the people watching the show without knowing any better start spreading that. It's not the intent. But yeah, but, but who, who is the... The, the police in this in this I'm thinking of the the TVA now I'm watching Loki at the moment uh, yeah. I'm thinking of the yeah the uh, time for time for firing authority that's what it's called right TVA yeah that's, that's a very yeah. interesting parallel yeah. I think you 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 can have authority to a, a certain degree but to to police it you know then then it's you know one authority doing this I think it's it's more a a more a consensus consensus model people reading it if there's something wrong and and that's also the beauty of having mass access and especially immediate feedback if something is wrong or people don't agree with something people will call it out and then that's where the discussion gets get started so okay but then you have channels that leave the comments you have channels that delete the comments then you're within the platform, right? Within the confines. So you could also put out a piece. Maybe it's on YouTube or on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, the, the host deletes the comments. Someone can just make a screenshot and share it on their own authority or on, on another platform that kind of has, has also influence and see people starting the conversation there. So it's people so policing people. Yeah, but no, but here's the interesting, because then I come back to capitalism. Say a social conference would be a popular show and thousands and thousands of people would, would watch this show. There would be people who would take snippets of this show and post them on their own nameless YouTube channels and acquire oh, sure. a great amount of wealth, right? That's kind of understanding how it works. Whereas I feel like a large part of the population, especially in business, don't have a clear understanding of what their actual reach is, what the actual values of the information. Yeah, but that that's coming from a creator, from a information from, from the source, right? Someone who creates media to share to more people. So coming back to the question, do we understand media? And let's when when you say we, who do you mean? Do we understand media? Yes, creators. We no, as a society in general, are, yeah, are but, we, but, but are that, we that's aware? a broad umbra- yeah. that's a broad umbrella, right? We we've discussed this in in, yeah. in this whole conversation in different segments. So w- w- once you start saying we as as a society, society is made of different parts: people who consume, people who create, people who spread misinformation and disinformation. 
people who are genuinely empathetic be more understanding? Why would you say that a creator group is more understanding than a consuming group? Because they are so understanding and how the media works or understanding with how the media your, works. your case, empathy, having empathy. No, how the media works. Let's start with, with the, the original question. Yeah, so definitely. if you have a group of creators and you have a group of consumers, do you feel I, the creators have a better understanding how media works than consumers? I do think so. I, I, the, especially those who, you know, manage to grow and spread information and grow, grow their influence. Yes, because they have to research on what drives human psychology, what drives their content, what kind of Yeah, but clicks, you're not only speaking clicks. about the successful people. There are also very successful people consuming media that have no intent to create, but they fully understand how all platforms Yeah, but I think it, it, it far, the, 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 the skills tip more to those who create because they're more exposed to it. They, they are more are they? intentionally use it. Yes. If you have a counter argument, no, no, feel free I'm, to share. I'm just, just asking. I'm playing deficit yeah, advocate I, here I, for those who are I do think so. fully understanding. Yeah. Because look, looking at in in anything, if you get more exposed to it, if you go intentionally go research on how to to build it, you will be forced to understand how you know human psychology works. And if if you start to have a formula for yourself and see that that works for you, you, you get yeah, a better understanding. Also, you you won't understand it creators. as a uh, again, it's easier yes. to be a, a successful consumer than it is to be a successful creator, right? What What is a successful consumer? I, successful I would I would put the ratio higher yeah. for creators than consumers. Okay, okay, fair. I would disagree on that. I would disagree on. That. But I also yeah, would say that because now we're talking on in, in ratio. Yeah, but almost everybody is a media consumer. Yeah, and how much of a percentage of the population is actually creator? It's a, it's a very small percentage. And yeah. if you look within those percentages. Yeah. Uh, so per percentage wise, I completely agree. But in, in total, I wouldn't necessarily agree. Yeah. So, but we, we can't talk in absolutes, right? So what, yeah. what would your take be on, on total? Yeah. So I feel like, and I got confronted with this, actually. Somebody called me out saying like, hey, you're very traditional in the content that you put out. And it was hard on me when I first heard it, but it's actually correct. Like the methods that I use to create content are not the methods that are used in 2020. They're kind of like outdated methods to what, to some extent. But the interesting part is that for the audience that I'm trying to reach, that actually makes total sense. So there's kind of this balance between understanding media and applying it that is kind of the next step and both from a creator perspective and from a consumer perspective when we start to understand media the next step is to okay so how do we go properly about it and i feel that's why the social media day team is important to go full circle it's because uniting brings us a lot further than fighting over but there's such an appeal a difference in opinion online and on different media platforms that we got sucked into it. And to give you an example, I shared a post today and I think you know which post it is. I just have to tell you it was a post about the logo design. Oh, yes. I saw it to say yes. I have many things I could say about it, but I didn't yes. comment on it. So I did do a O on the original post, like, what? And then I actually shared, but I removed my share and I shared something positive instead. I think that's the main message that I feel we could do is to, to use Gary Vaynerchuk's word, make positivity louder. Yeah. And and if you fully understand how media works, I think that's the best approach for whether or not you're a creator or a consumer on what to focus on. And yeah, basically it all starts with you. That, that's a very good example. Like we, we both took different approaches to it. And 
you saying like, I, I didn't take any action on it because it is not relevant for me. Well, oh, it was very it relevant from an entertainment perspective, from a business perspective. I had so many questions and I will still someday ask those questions. But <laughs> I realized that me having a negative approach towards it wasn't the right approach. So I had to delete. You reframe it. Yeah, reframe it. And come no, back I to just value. deleted the post. I felt like it wasn't the right. Oh, you, you, there you were, completely deleted. Yeah, I completely deleted. Yeah, I, I didn't even comment or share on it. I did see it. I had my opinions. I didn't feel that the, it's necessary for me to voice those opinions on that platform. I do feel as we try to understand media better, that we do, should do some plugs. So if you made it to the end of this episode of Social Conflict, you are don't right. Forget, don't forget to subscribe to Diego Averali's YouTube channel to watch all the episodes live. You can also follow us on carphones.com. We actually have Instagram now and Diego will put on the banner with the Instagram handle. And we're not that active yet, but it will get more active over time. And as always, this was Social Convos. We'll be back next week, same place, same time. Can we close it up? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Bye-bye. Swai swai.